I'm certainly not aware. So should we call you Florida Biden then? So now we're missing something. Is that you? You have both those desks? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Let us continue then. Good. So I'll grade the exams and have them back to you and we'll discuss them next week. I hope that it wasn't too traumatic. Traumatic enough. Traumatic enough. Father, I do have a question. I know you gave us the answer to it because others have still not taken it. I'm not asking that. But question number three about Canon 1108, we didn't get that far. That's right. What were the instructions that I gave last week? I said I will sometimes refer to Canons outside of what we've looked at, and you do not need to look at them. I give you all the information you need right there. Okay. You did mention 1108. I have it in notes. Yeah, well, that's an important Canon anyway. But all the information you needed about Canon 1108 was right in the exam. Okay. You would answer it from the Canons in the books that you have studied. I got it wrong twice then. So if you started searching around in the area around Canon 1108 to find the answer, then you blew it. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's all right. Okay. We want to fix your salvation. Okay. Good. So we're speaking of salvation. We're talking about baptism, which is necessary for salvation. And again, you guys, probably most of you will be doing baptisms on a regular basis, which would be an enormous help to your pastors who are going to be stretched all sorts of ways. We have a new director of the cathedral who was just born, practically. It was so bad. I don't want to put him down. He's a very fine guy. But it was so bad that we got an emergency email, practically. It was frankly an emergency from Bishop Whalen via the senior board asking for people to express their interest in being rector of the cathedral, which is a prestigious position. But that's how bad things are with priest personnel now. Big positions like that, who are we going to put there? We don't know. Anyway, so you guys are going to be really needed for whatever you can do. So study hard. And right now we're working on baptism, which we'll be doing a lot of, probably most of the time. So I think we left off on Canon 857. Does that ring a bell? That's what I just marked. Yes. Last week we discussed 856. Okay. So in 856, we did that. All right. So place of baptism, which is important because sometimes people are confused about this. Canon 857. Apart from the case of necessity, proper place of baptism is a church or oratory. And as a rule, an adult is to be baptized in his or her parish church and an infant in the parish church of the parents, unless a just cause suggests otherwise. That's pretty obvious. But I underscore the first part. The proper place of baptism is a church or oratory. That's where you normally have it. People will say, you know, I want to have baptism in my living room because my grandmother can't walk too well or something like that. You deal with those things on a case-by-case basis. But you don't want to be doing that except in rare circumstances, you know, because how you can record it, it's a whole big deal if you have it outside of the church. Well, how would you do that, though? Who would you get the... I would call a chancery in a case like that, and they will discourage you from doing it. Because once word gets around that you've done one of those, you're never going to have a baptism again in your church. Everyone's going to want to have a party at home. It's like weddings, you know. So that's not where you do baptisms. You don't do baptisms in somebody's home. Pardon? Just tell them no. Well, normally, but, you know, I mean, there might be some kind of an extreme situation, you know. Every case is different. So there might be a case where you want to call the chancery office. But normally, no. If grandma can't make it, we'll find everybody can go back to 
grandma's house after the, you know, the bad videotape before. Pardon? Videotape before. Yeah, whatever. She can zoom. She can zoom. Yeah, zoom. There you go. <laughs> so, all right. So, church or oratory? The baptismal font, Canon 58. Every parish church is to have a baptismal font. Um, so, parish churches. The other churches may also have baptismal fonts, but parish churches need to have a baptismal font. Um, that's all you need to know. Don't worry about, about number two. Um, and it's pretty obvious. Every parish church has have a baptismal font, right? Um, Canon 859, which gets to the question we just discussed. Uh, if because of distance or other circumstances, the one to be baptized cannot go or be brought to the parish church or to the other church or oratory mentioned in Canon 858 without grave inconvenience, baptism can and must be conferred in another nearer church or oratory, or even in another fitting place. Right. So we're talking about um, grave inconvenience, uh, you know, a just cause. So you can move, um, instead of having the parish church, you can have it in another church um, that might be closer. Um, could, it, could, or, it be, could it be a non-Catholic church, like Episcopalian or? Well, normally, no. What it's saying is it's supposed to be in a church, right? So um, it's supposed to be in the parish church. But uh, it's the parish church that you belong to, right? Um, right. Because it's about Canon 58, number two. Right, so right. The normal place of baptism for somebody is in their parish church. So if it's an adult, the, the parish that they belong to, if it's a child, the, the church that the parents belong to, that's the normal place of baptism. For other reasons that uh, baptism could take place elsewhere, and this happens all the time, um, you'll you'll find people get very sentimental uh, often at the time of baptism, and um, you know they might live live up in Westchester, uh, but they, they want to go back to uh, the, you know the church in, in uh, this is this happens in churches around where I am, and they will go back to the church in the Lower East Side uh, where they grew up, you know. Or where the parents are from, or whatever, and they'll, they'll want to do that kind of thing. You know? So that's that's okay, you know, if there's a pastoral reason for it. Uh, you would stress with them the fact that that parish then uh, becomes the center of the person's pastor of sacramental life for the rest of that person's life. So the person's living up in in Austin, say, and wants to go back to um, uh, let's, let's say my, my parish, you know, where I was, Most Holy Redeemer, you know. You have to tell them every time something happens, you know, uh, uh, this is ground zero. So uh, when there's a wedding, you know, the, the, you have to get a baptismal certificate from uh, Most Holy Redeemer or, or persons redeemed or whatever. You know, so uh, you want to stress that fact. But they do, they can do that if they want. They can get uh, uh, baptized in a, in a church that's closer or a church that has some, some, some sentimental value or whatever, right? Um, and then, so, but it's, we're, when we're talking about churches or oratories, we mean, to, to answer uh, Dr. Anthony's question, we, we, we mean real churches. <laughs> oh, man. There's <laughs> a little red meat I'm throwing out. Got it. <laughs> so it's, so it's, it's real churches, real oratories, Catholic churches, Catholic oratories, right? Or even in another fitting place. Okay, so sometimes it may be, who knows? Uh, there might be, uh, might be in, in some remote area, and the only thing that is, is uh, available that's anywhere nearby is, is, a, is an interfaith chapel or something like that. And it happens to have a baptismal font, you know. Um, but it has to have a baptismal font, and baptismal font is, is we're talking about a Catholic baptismal font. So that gets, gets back to that question. So they couldn't, have, they couldn't request them like the Jordan River. Jordan Okay, you want a baptismal font. Here we go. To the, yeah. It's interesting because just as we were talking, a person sent me an email asking me if they can, if her brother can bring the nephew to be baptized in my parish. I said, well, you have to. They're from Philadelphia and they want to baptize the baby. In Orange County, right. Uh, I said, well, yeah, you got to speak with the priest now. I well, kicked this, the ball right back. Well, this is dealt with the canons that we're about to look at. So let's look at the canons first. <clears throat> they should answer most of the questions. Yeah. Can we go back to 849, necessary for salvation? 
because I get that question a lot. In other words, are you familiar with Dulles' article? Um, talking about people who've never, never heard the gospel. Oh, yeah. Well, this, this is in, in Vatican II. This is, this is ancient church teaching. If the person, if the person is sincerely following their conscience, they can't be saved. It's going to be very, very difficult if they're not uh, in the church because they don't have all the, all the, the aids that we have, you know. But, um, yeah, it's different from an ex-Catholic. Second Vatican Council also says this, and this is ancient Catholic teaching. If someone knows that the Catholic Church is necessary for salvation, is a member of the church and says to the church, you know, because I don't like all those gay priests or whatever, you know. Um, so uh, I hope we don't have too many of those left, but anyway. So... <laughs> uh, Whatever, whatever. That's a, this isn't being recorded, is it? <laughs> so, so um, yeah. If a person knows the church is necessary for salvation and, and just you know says forget the church, you know, then that person cannot be saved. Okay. But if a person you know grows up through no fault of their own, grows up with, with uh, real prejudice against the church uh, in the old days. Uh, you know, died in the wolves of uh, Protestant Southern Baptists who were brought up with the Klan or they hate the Catholic Church and everything because the Catholic Church is the whore of Babylon and all that stuff. You know, and they really sincerely believe that. But they're still baptized. What about, you're, we're talking about baptism necessarily. Yeah. yeah, somebody who doesn't even know that God exists. But they're trying to, they're really trying sincerely to be good members of the Communist Party. Right, you know, Father, just coming up in our country in, in about a year, the way yeah. the rate we're going. So, with COVID, for example, my grandson, there was no baptisms being done. So, God forbid something happened to him. It was my understanding, because it was the intention of the parents to baptize him. God forbid something happened to him early on. I guess he would have been considered baptized by spirit, by desire, by desire. Also, you've got emergency baptism. All these things are coming up in canons that we're about to look at. Okay. So why don't we look at the canons first and then ask these kinds of questions. Okay. Um, so, um, so to get back to the question that was asked earlier, canon 860, right, um, apart from a case of necessity, baptism is not to be conferred in private homes, houses, unless the local ordinary has permitted it for a grave cause. Okay, so that answers that question, right? Uh, in the case of necessity, grave cause, but normally uh, it's not to be conferred in private houses. You don't want it to be known that you're doing this. And, and I rarely hear of it being okay? If, if you're going to do a baptism in a private house, that's a big, big deal. That's a big exception. And, you know, people go, whoa, what's going on here? All right. So uh, you're really going out on a limb when you're doing that. You need, permi you need permission um, from the ordinary to do that. You can't just do it on your own. Okay. Um, and also, except in the case of necessity or for some other compelling pastoral reason, baptism is not to be celebrated in hospitals unless the diocesan bishop is established otherwise. So, uh, and it happens once in a while, as you know, in hospitals, um, there's an emergency situation. Someone is dying, you know. Um, my, my own sister lost, uh, lost a baby, you know, and, uh, um, you know, she, uh, you know, and uh, so the nurse baptized the baby, you know. So um, case of necessity like that, you can do a baptism in the hospital. But normally, no. Okay? Normally, if things are, are going fairly normally, you know, for a newborn. Deacon. When the child comes home, then you, you do the baptism. You know? um, okay. Uh, so uh, the, the minister of baptism, who can actually do a baptism, you have ordinary and extraordinary ministers of baptism, right? So okay. uh, the ordinary ministers of baptism, uh, bishop, pres presbyter, or deacon, bishop, priest, or deacon, right? Um, those are the ordinary ministers of baptism. <clears throat> when an ordinary minister is absent or impeded, a catechist or another person designated for this function by the local ordinary, or in a case of necessity, any person with the right intention confers baptism licitly. Pastors of souls, especially the pastor of a parish, are to be concerned that the Christian faithful are taught the correct way to baptize. So this can happen. We mentioned this, I think, last time. Uh, you know, a, a Muslim nurse, uh, you know, can, can do a, a, a baptism in an emergency, you know, for a baby or whatever else it might be, you know, uh, as long as they have the right intention. And it's happened with great frequency, from what I understand, from the, the, the nurses that I've talked to about this. You know? Okay? So... Um, 
So anybody, so you have the ordinary and extraordinary ministers. Ordinary ministers are ordained people. Um, extraordinary ministers are these others, right? Um, but but it can be it can be almost anybody if they have the right intention, and it's an emergency. Um, uh, okay. Now this is something to remember because this comes up all the time in our. In, in our experience in the metropolitan area, I'm not going to uh, beat this to death. It, it's pretty straightforward, but just to, to be aware of this. Canon 862, except in a case of necessity, no one is permitted to confer baptism in the territory of another without the required permission, not even upon his own subject. So you can't go into, you can't go waltzing into somebody else's parish and do a baptism there. You need permission of the pastor, obviously. Right? Even if it's somebody from your parish, you can't bring them to somebody else's parish. Uh, without the permission of the, of the pastor. Okay. Um, uh, Canon 863, uh, well, the baptism of adults, at least of those who have been in their 14th year, is to be deferred to the diocesan bishop so that he himself administers it if he has judged it expedient. Um, no. <laughs> Except, um, well, uh, if you're dealing perhaps with the, the Easter vigil or something like that uh, at the cathedral, but in, in our diocese, uh, no. Uh, the, the, as far as I know, the bishops are not saying, I'm going to do all the adult baptisms. Oh, my God. You know, that's, that's all. Uh, they can't do that. But, but technically, yeah, um, uh, technically, it, it is to be deferred to him, the adult baptism. That's the ancient practice. Okay. Um, okay, so those to be baptized. Um, who can be baptized? This is a, this is a an, uh, an easy kind of exam question. Who who can be baptized? Who's about to be baptized? Anybody who's not baptized. <laughs> Every person not yet baptized, and only such a person is capable of baptism. Okay. Once you're baptized, you can be baptized again. Yeah, it can be done again. So only a person not yet baptized, but every person not yet baptized is ipso facto capable of baptism. Okay, who can be baptized? Somebody who's not baptized. Um, <clears throat> Canon uh, 865, uh, we're talking about adult baptisms. I'm just going to skim over this because you get this with Dr. Eschenauer, right? Uh, I hope. Don't you get this? She talks about RCIA, right? Yes. Yeah. So for an adult to be baptized, the person must have manifested the intention to receive baptism, have been instructed sufficiently about the truths of the faith and Christian obligations, and have been tested in the Christian life through the catechumenate. The adult, is, the adult is also to be urged to have sorrow for personal sins. An adult in danger of death can be baptized if having some knowledge of the principal truths of the faith, the person has manifested in any way at all the intention to receive baptism and promises to observe the commandments of the Christian religion. So if you come across a situation like that in the hospital, somebody who's um, uh, been thinking, perhaps has taken some steps towards baptism, perhaps might even be a catechumen, or somebody who just has thought about uh, getting baptized and knows something about the faith, uh, you know, just the basics, the Trinity, Christ died and rose for us and so forth. Um, and all of a sudden the, the person's situation becomes urgent and the person says, hey, you know, I, I don't know that much about the faith, but I want to be baptized. Then you, you should baptize that person in an emergency. Right. The rest of that, uh, all the stuff about the, catechum the catechumen and so forth, I'll leave that to Dr. Eschenauer, the first part of Canon 865. Um, Canon 866, uh, this is um, something that still leads to some confusion. Um, Canon 866, unless there is a grave reason to the contrary, an adult who is baptized is to be confirmed immediately after baptism um, and is to participate in the Eucharistic celebration also by receiving um, communion. You know, um, and this sometimes becomes a problem when you're dealing with, um, uh, yeah, when you're dealing with people who want to be baptized. Um, they might be like teenagers or something like that. They want to be baptized, but that's separate from confirmation because they want to have both parties, you know. So um, uh, that that can be that can be a bit of a sticky wicket. Uh, I, I've found uh, from my recent experience that uh, you know all these kids who are left over uh, weren't baptized as infants, and now they're they're technically adults. Um, in the, in the church, uh, you know, what do you do with them? 
you know, um, so we, we've had all sorts of problems. Because technically, they're supposed to go into the RCIA. Anyway, that's the whole thing. I leave that to Dr. Reschenauer. Right? Um, <laughs> but um, but normally, an adult who is baptized is confirmed right away. Uh, it's part of it's part of the same ceremony. And Moser receives um, uh, Holy Communion. Uh, so it's it's a mass basically. Person baptized, confirmed, receives Holy Communion. That's the norm for an adult. Um, but there can be a grave reason to the contrary. Um, <clears throat> Canon 867, this is um, a big problem in a lot of our parishes, especially with people from certain ethnic groups, but not just certain ethnic groups, people who are growing up in our, um, in our secular society. Parents are obliged to take care that infants are baptized in the first few weeks. We have to emphasize that. You know? um, as soon as possible after the birth or even before it, they are to go to the pastor to request the sacrament for their child to be prepared properly for it. An infant in danger of death is to be baptized without delay. We've seen that. Again, that happens in hospitals. That can happen wherever uh, if there's a danger of death. But we have to um, urge this upon our people because, uh, you know, so many people don't, you know, they don't see the necessity of baptism. You know, religion is nice. You know, it makes me feel good once in a while. Go on a Sunday, maybe Christmas and Easter. Yeah, that's nice, whatever. Uh, they don't understand this is about your eternal salvation. So that's something we need to be preaching and teaching our people because uh, so more and more people, I say, are just delaying baptism. And, and you know, the whole thing about uh, waiting uh, for baptism until the child is old enough to decide for himself or herself, you know, that, that kind of thing, you know, all of that. So we have to really stress this with our people. Okay? Um, however you do that in preaching and teaching, uh, stuff in the bulletin, whatever. Um, for illicit baptism, uh, 868, for a baptism that is licit, for an infant to be baptized licitly, um, the parents must consent, okay, the parents or at least one of them, or the person who legitimately takes their place must consent, all right, so um, if you uh, are doing, and this happens all the time, all right, um, I remember seeing this on, um, what was that? The show about the family in Queens. Um, oh, I can't remember the name of the show now. Um, it's terrible. Um, but I, it was on back in the in fact in the sixties. Um, um, anyway, I forget the name of the family. Oh, the family. So um, and they they were Catholic, you know, nominal Catholics, you know, living in Queens kind of thing, you know, ethnic of some kind. Uh, and the son. Meathead. Meathead, that's right, was rebellious, you know, and he said, well, no, I'm not going to baptize the child. Yeah. I think it was his son. His son or his daughter? I think Michael Stittick. Pardon? Michael Stittick was his name. Yeah, yeah. The son or the daughter, one of them had a, had a, you know, got married, had a baby or whatever, and said, no, I'm not going to baptize the child. No, you have your religion. No, I don't, I don't like the religion. I'm going to go elsewhere, you know, and, and of course, uh, Archie Bunker, you know, the father got all upset, and at one point he uh, he walked into the church with the baby and baptized the baby himself. You know, so, um, uh, no, you can't do that. Okay, and the parents have to um, uh, approve. Okay? Um, they must consent. Um, for it to be legitimate, for a laicity, it doesn't say for validity. So you could argue the child is validly baptized. If you have a case like that, and it comes up with some frequency, you know, somebody not just uh, against the parents' consent, but just Stop maybe. It. For some reason, the person was worried that baptism being delayed too much, or the person was sick or whatever, and the person you know, decided, I'm going to baptize this child, and so forth. A lot of the time, quite frankly, you just ignore that, you know, um, because, you know, unless it was a big deal where, where people were present and their witnesses you can say, yes, they actually poured water and say, baptizing the Father and Son of the Spirit. So, you know, I, I would, frankly, you know, I defer. I would defer to sacramental theologians, but I, I would. I would basically just kind of ignore it if it was an on the fly kind of thing done in secret. Oh, I'm going to baptize this child. I'm afraid it's going to go to hell. So you, you know, go to the sink and get some water. And you know, I would just. I would just ignore that. That's what I would do. But, um, um, but in any case, the child is, is normally not to be baptized without the consent um, of at least one of the parents. Uh, and that can be a real problem, you know. Um, you know, what do you do? And this will come up with some frequency. 
in your pastoral experience? What do you do if one parent wants it and the other one doesn't? They're fighting over it. <laughs> you know, you don't want to get caught in the middle there. So um, uh, all these things come up. Um, so number one, um, the, the parents are at least one of them must consent. Number two, and this is this is a real problem these days. Okay. Um, there must be a founded hope, as it's translated, there must be a founded hope that the infant will be brought up in the Catholic religion. If such hope is altogether lacking, the baptism is to be delayed according to the prescripts of particular law after the parents have been advised about the reason. Um, so uh, wh what, do you, what do you do in cases like this? Uh, um, and it happens all the time. You know, the, um, the kids have left the, have left the, the church, you know, as soon as they finish confirmation, they stop going to mass. Now they're married, you know, they want to, they have their first child, they want to have to bring the child to be baptized and so forth. What, what happens, you know? They're not practicing the faith. It's a great time to bring them back to the faith, practice the faith, you know? And very often they're not even validly married. So you can uh, offer them the possibility of doing something uh, about that. Um, and sometimes I've, I've had, uh, any number of times, I've had uh, uh, parents that come to me and one of the parents might not even be baptized. So you can invite, you know, the, the father says, not even baptized, invite him to get baptized, you know. Um, so these are, these are um, golden pastoral opportunities. Um, but you have to have some hope the child is going to be baptized Catholic. If nobody in the family is practicing Catholic, but they come back to your church because that's where, you know, they they went to school or something like that, and they want to have baptism and then go away again, uh-uh, you know, you can't do that. Uh, you have to have some kind of, they say, founded hope. Often that founded hope can be, can be found in um, a close relative who's very much on the scene, grandma who's practicing her faith and who's around all the time and dotes on the child. Okay, grandma will take care of it, you know. Um, but you have to have somebody uh, on the scene. You have to have some reason to believe the child will be raised um, Catholic. Um, and it says, you know, if such hope is altogether lacking, the baptism is, is to be delayed. So most of the time it's not altogether lacking, but sometimes it comes close to that. What do you do uh, when you have a gay couple that comes that comes to you uh, with with a child that um, either either one of them gave birth through in vitro if it's to women or they adopted the child whatever it might be, what do you do then? Call father elder. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is something that's been debated a lot. When I was I got I got to walk. When I was um, <laughs> on the tribunal, um, well I, I would make a distinction. Uh, this is what, what we, we came up with on the tribunal. Um, if, <coughs> if the first question you ask is, is this just two gay people who are doing bad things together? Or is this two gay people who have gone down to City Hall and sought formal recognition for their, their behavior? You know, in other words, a, is, is this a quote unquote gay marriage? If they've done the latter, and this is the opinion of, of uh, a number of candidates, if they've done the latter, if they have um, actually gone to um, the city hall and they, they've gotten themselves quote unquote married civilly, um, then they are formal heretics because they have taken a public stand against the teachings of the church. Yeah. Uh, in a case like that, I personally um, would lean in the direction would have the, would have the mindset I'm not going to do this baptism, you know. Now I um, I could be persuaded otherwise uh, by circumstances. Uh, in a case like that, because they are formal heretics, which means there's no hope that they, there's no hope the child can actually be raised a Catholic. The child will be raised if there's any version of Christianity, it's going to be a heretical version of Christianity, you know, if they even have that, you know. If they're just doing bad things together because of human weakness. Or they're just kind of confused. Then there might be some uh, you know, room to maneuver. And whatever you, whatever your decision you're leaning toward, you have to make sure that there's somebody on the scene who actually is going to do something about 
the child being raised a Catholic. So you would hope that they have, you know, maybe a godparent who is uh, an actual Catholic, uh, practicing Catholic or something like that, right? So you have to be careful in cases like that. There, um, there, there are no easy answers, you know. Um, and when this came came up, there was a discussion about having a policy for the archdiocese. I don't, I don't even know if they have one. Um, but the policy ultimately would come down to the same for, you know, gay couples as for anybody else. Is this child going to be raised Catholic or not? You know, um, if it's a gay couple, there's, a, there's, you know, at least one strike or maybe two strikes against that, you know, but you look to see if there are other factors to see if the child might end up being raised Catholic anyway. You know? so you still what would, what what would happen? Oh, sorry. We have one question here. Then we'll okay. I was going to say the child's still coming home from school to two female parents and they're living together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does the actual heretical marriage really make that much of a difference? Or, um, aren't they living in mortal sin? Yeah, well, a lot of people live in mortal sin, unfortunately. I mean, that's terrible. You know, I mean, this happens all the time. All sorts of people are married outside the church. This came up... Uh, in, in the exam sort of, Ken 1108, right? Uh, we all know Catholics who are invalidly married, you know, and they've been married for many years and they have children and uh, they can't be bothered to get it kind of validated. They're living in sin, technically, you know? Right. So we can't look into their conscience ourselves, but they, you know, a lot of the time they do know they're living in sin, you know? So um, what do you do? The, the issue is the child, you know? And People commit a lot of sins out of human weakness or laziness or whatever it might be. That's one thing. But if you are taking a stand, you know, it's not just, oh, you know, I, I have this, well, the person could say, I have this, I suffer from same-sex attraction, I have this thing, I know I shouldn't, blah, 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 and, you know, but now we have a child and isn't it nice? And they're all kind of confused. That's one thing. But if it is, I defy the Catholic Church, you know, and I, I am, you know, I am, you know, an LGBTQXYZ person. This is my identity, you know, and that my life is all about this. And I go to meetings of LGBTQ people and so forth. This is it. And I march and protest and all this kind of stuff. Um, then that person has taken a public stand against the teachings of the church. And that person is a formal heretic. You know? So, um, and then I would say, I would say that person seriously does not intend to raise a child Catholic. Because this person simply defies the teachings of the church. So what would you do with the opportunity to try to teach this person something without without uh, insulting? Yeah, well, every case is different, you know. Uh, <laughs> you just have to deal with the people as people and see what you can do. Yeah. So, um, and you know, having said all that I just said, there aren't that many formal heretics around. You know, to be a formal heretic, you really have to, um, you know, sit down and look at the teachings of the church and decide, I deny this. I deny the assumption because blah, 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 blah. Look at me, right? You know, it has to be like Martin Luther, you know, I'm going to nail my thesis to the door of the cathedral. And here I stand, I can do no other. And that's it. You know, very few people are like that. You have to have a, a certain uh, amount of intellectual acumen to be a, to be a heretic, actually. You know? most, with most people, it's the, it, you know, their lives are kind of wishy-washy, they're confused, and they, they don't know what they're doing, <laughs> quite frankly. So so you look to see, the bottom line is, will the child be raised Catholic somehow? Is there, is there some kind of a serious hope that the yeah. child will be raised Catholic? Father Elder, in, yeah. in, in, the case of, in case of the couple that's in a gay civil marriage, if there's a godparent or both godparents that are willing to raise that child in the Catholic faith, then you can go ahead and do the baptism, correct? Correct. That's what you look for. Okay. okay. So that would give you the hope that you don't have from uh, talking to the parents. And that happens with with uh, some frequency. Um, but it, but it, the canon tells us, Canon 868, if such hope is altogether lacking, altogether there's no hope, um, then the baptism is to be delayed. Um, now, number two, an infant of Catholic parents or even of non-Catholic parents is, ba is baptized licitly in danger of death, even against the will of the parents. Now, you don't want to run around in a hospital looking for you know, babies who are in serious condition and start baptizing them. But, um, but you know, if you're in that kind of a situation, you know, a car accident or something like that, you know what's going on. You know? 
you know, it's a newborn. And, um, you know, you, you could, um, you could baptize licitly in a case like that. You don't know if the parents are for it against it, you know, but you, you go ahead and do it. Okay. And da danger of death. Okay. Um, with an infant. Um, conditional baptism. You might sometimes have to resort to this. I myself was conditionally baptized um, because it was from an, an earlier era uh, when when the Catholic, the Catholic Church was was leery about the validity of any non-Catholic baptism. I was actually baptized a Lutheran, as was my the oldest of my three younger sisters, and uh, um, then my parents. My mother converted, my father came back to the church, and, um, and then, um, then I was, I and my, my, the oldest of my three sisters were conditionally baptized in the Catholic Church. Um, that's, that was the practice back then. We don't do it anymore like that. So, uh, but sometimes we do it. Uh, can 869, if there's a doubt whether a person has been baptized or whether baptism was conferred, conferred validly and the doubt remains after a serious investigation, baptism is to be conferred um, uh, conditionally. Okay? So first of all, you want, you want to investigate your doubt. You know, sometimes you, you simply can't come up with the answer. So then you can, uh, you, you just don't know if the, if the person, whoever is usually an adult, whatever, you don't know if that person is baptized validly or not. So then you can do a conditional baptism. Uh, number two, those baptized in a non-Catholic ecclesial community must not be baptized conditionally. This is a change from the old code. I had been baptized, as I said, in the Lutheran Church, um, and uh, the practice then was that you were baptized conditionally. But those baptized in a non-Catholic ecclesial community must not be baptized conditionally unless, after an examination of the matter of the form of the words used in control of baptism and a consideration of the intention of the baptized adult and the minister of the baptism, a serious reason exists to death and validity of the baptism. Mm -hmm. This happens more and more now, you know, you get all these Protestant um, sects who do baptisms in all sorts of ways, you know. Um, so if somebody is, is, to use your example, the Jordan River, if somebody's dunking someone in the Jordan River and say, in the name of Jesus, I baptize you. That's not, we do not accept that as being valid because they're, they're not baptized in the name of the Trinity. You know, that's required for validity. Um, so all these questions come up. There, there are lists that you can find um, of denominations that have valid versus invalid baptisms. Um, and um, I don't think the archdiocese has come out with one recently. They really should, because there's so many of these denominations. Um, and you'll find this happens all the time. Um, somebody comes um, to maybe to be married and then, and then expresses an interest in becoming Catholic, or um, they want to become a Catholic and there's something else first. And then you find that they're baptized in whatever the church was, and you got to figure out if that was valid or not. Then, this is happening more and more, so say it was the Episcopal Church. You know, the Catholic Church recognizes baptisms in the Episcopal Church. But suppose you have some renegade minister in the Episcopal Church who is, um, you know, baptized in the name of the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier. You know, um, then what? You know, so that's not valid. By the way, that, uh, there have been renegade uh, Catholic priests and deacons who have done that. You know? So um, this is an additional problem that we have now. Did the minister actually, whoever administered the baptism, sometimes even if it was, if it was a Catholic minister, um, this is happening with deacons, right? Um, uh, did the person do it correctly, or was the baptism uh, doubtfully valid? You know? uh, who was the deacon? You know that story about the, there was a deacon who was baptized. What do you say? We baptize you? I, we, we, we. Yeah, we baptize you. And, and that was deemed invalid. So there was this priest who had been baptized by that deacon. So, um, so the priest had to go through the whole thing. Had to be baptized, confirmed, um, and reordained. So, um, so you have to... Make sure the baptism was validly administered, right? So the denomination itself must be one that's recognized, but then once in a while there's a question about the minister, if you're dealing with some, you know, renegade minister of some kind. So um, these are problems that come up. Um, so number three tells us, 
if in the cases mentioned in numbers one and two, the conferral or validity of the baptism remains doubtful, baptism is not to be conferred until after the doctrine of the sacrament of baptism is explained to the person to be baptized, if an adult, and the reasons of the doubtful validity of the baptism are explained to the person or in case of an infant to the parents. Okay, so um, you don't just do it automatically. The person has to be aware of what baptism uh, really is because uh, they're receiving, they're really receiving baptism now for, for the first time. Okay? So that can sometimes happen. It's happened to me. I've, I've done, I once did a conditional baptism at the Easter you know, uh, for an adult. Mm -hmm. This thing's going to happen. Uh, and in 870, an abandoned infant or a foundling is to be baptized unless after diligent investigation of baptism, the infant is established. Okay. Um, can 871, very important. If aborted fetuses are alive, they are to be baptized insofar as possible. So to be aware of that, you know, and it wouldn't just be uh, an aborted fetus, it would be, uh, you know, a child uh, miscarriage, you know. Uh, if there's any possibility the child is, uh, might still have some breath of life, you baptize. Um, some go so far as, you know, if it looks like the, the, uh, the aborted fetus is dead or the, um, the stillborn child is dead, but not a zillion percent sure, you know, you might just baptize anyway. Um, just, you know, possibility. Um, sponsors for baptism uh, can in 872 insofar as possible a person to be baptized is to be given a sponsor who assists an adult in Christian initiation or together with the parents presents an infant for baptism the sponsor also helps the baptized person to lead a Christian life in keeping with baptism and to fulfill faithfully the obligations inherent in it so it's an office in the church and it carries with it certain responsibilities right so uh, you assist the adult or helps the parents or together with the parents, um, helps the, the, the person, whoever it is, adult or child, to lead a Christian life and keep them with baptism. Okay, that's the function of a, of a sponsor. So you can't have somebody uh, as a sponsor who isn't going to do that. Um, and then and these questions come up all the time, so know the answers. Okay, you need the this isn't something where you, you can have, you can go say, just a minute, let me go to my office and check my code of canon law. You've got to just know this because it comes up all the time. Canon 873, there's to be only one male sponsor or one female sponsor or one of each. That's what it says. You can't have two women as sponsors. You can't have a, a whole bunch of people who are given the honorary title of sponsors, which I've seen happening in, in, in some parishes. You can have one you only need one sponsor. If you have, to, but you can have two, but the second one has to be of the opposite sex, sex defined uh, biologically, and not, <laughs> you know, according to binary uh, to hopefulness. Right? And, um, so it's to be only one male sponsor or one female sponsor or one of each, and that's it. That's it. Prerequisites, prerequisites for sponsors. This is very important because people get all bent out of shape. Um, when you have to say no, you can't be a sponsor uh, because there are requirements to be permitted um, to take on the function of sponsor. A person must be designated by the one to be baptized by the parents or the person who takes their place or in their absence by the pastor or minister and have the aptitude and intention of fulfilling this function. They must have completed the 16th year of age unless the diocesan bishop has established another age. Or, this is important, or the pastor or minister has granted an, an exception for a just cause. So um, if somebody's under 16, but is otherwise qualified, uh, the pastor can, can, can waive this, this uh, requirement of law. It says the pastor or minister, um, if I were you as a deacon, it, it says minister, you're, you're, as a deacon you'll be a minister of baptism. I, I wouldn't do it without checking with the pastor. But if you have to, you, you, this gives you the authority to make that decision. But you don't want to have it come back and bite you, so I uh, would just check it with the pastor. Yeah. My niece years ago had her uh, son baptized, mm -hmm. and the two sponsors were not practicing Catholics. Is that a valid baptism? Oh, this has nothing to do with validity of baptism. You know, um, notice what Canon 873 says. 
there is to be only one male sponsor, one female sponsor, one of each. It doesn't say for validity. In, um, but it says here, number three, it says you have to be a Catholic who has been confirmed. And I know for a fact neither one of them. Yeah, but you don't even need to have a sponsor for validity. Suppose there's a, a child in, you know, in the hospital who's dying, you know, and the, and the, and the, um, and the Muslim nurse goes and baptizes the child. There, there are no sponsors around. It's still valid. It's valid. You don't need a sponsor. As a matter of fact, in Sicily, did you read that? I think it's in Sicily. Uh, there's a story in the, in the Times uh, a couple of weeks ago where the bishop, bishop of uh, some diocese in Sicily said, uh, we are not going to allow any godparents. They are no longer allowed here, I think maybe for a period of two years or something like that, because godparents in Sicily... <laughs> really it's a whole whole culture it establishes a certain relationship that has nothing to do with god or the church or anything else it has to do with you know connections and the family and all this kind of stuff you know so it's a great honor to be a, a godparent and then there are certain financial things that happen because of that it's a whole big thing and the mafia is involved and all this kind of stuff so the bishop was saying no more godparents so you don't have to have a godparent you should normally, but you don't have to. And if you have godparents, you need only one. Um, and but you can have two at most, one of, of each sex. Um, and since you need only one, this is what I do, and a lot of people do. Um, you can you can have one who is actually a qualified godparent. So you have your godparent, you know. And the other one might not be qualified. You can call that person. If the person is baptized, call that person a Christian witness. Um, but let's finish this canon. Maybe it'll, it'll help uh, elucidate this. So they must have completed the 16th year of age, all right? Um, but you can grant an exception for just cause. They must be a Catholic who has been confirmed and has already received the most holy sacrament of the Eucharist and who leads a life of faith in keeping with the function to be taken on, okay? So that excludes many, many people who are presented as godparents. It's, you just go to Canon 874 and say, I'm sorry, the law of the church says the sponsor must, it says here, look, and show this to them, must be a Catholic. Okay? You're not a Catholic, sorry. You know? um, what does it say? And not just a Catholic, but one who has been confirmed, it doesn't even uh, and the official communion and so forth, and who leads a life of faith. That means they're going to Mass on Sunday, that means there are people with prayer, and so on and so forth. Uh, all that's required. Uh, they must not be bound by any canonical penalty, legitimately imposed or declared. Must not be the father or mother of the one to be baptized. Right? You know, a parent can't be the godparent at the same time. Uh, now, number two, and this happens a lot, a baptized person who belongs to a non-Catholic ecclesial community, so um, a baptized non-Catholic, is not to participate except together with a Catholic sponsor and then only as a witness of the baptism. As I said, this happens with some frequency. So you got to, you know, insofar as possible, you've, you've got to get a real sponsor. Okay, get a real sponsor, Catholic, baptized, confirmed over the age of sixteen, unless that's waived for some reason. Practicing Catholic, all the rest. Once you have that, okay, you're set. How was so and so? You know, was a, you know, a Methodist, um, and doesn't really go to any church. You know, with, you know we've known them for a long time. Yeah, fine, or whatever. You could be the godmother as long as this other person who is confirmed and everything else is the godfather. But that person, the non-Catholic, uh, but who's baptized, baptized non-Catholic, can be a Christian witness. You can't have an unbaptized person as a sponsor or a Christian witness. It's a contradiction in terms. How do you call the person a Christian witness if the person is Jewish? You know? Doesn't mean we don't love our Jewish friends, but they're not qualified to be godparents. You know, I'm not qualified to be a rabbi. You know, um, it doesn't mean because Jews hate me. You know, I'm it's, I'm not qualified. You know, so um, so it'd be the same with uh, a non an unbaptized person who wants to be a Christian witness. No, or a non-Catholic who wants to be a, a, a sponsor. No, okay, they're not qualified. Um, okay, so remember that. That's that's very important, Ken. Eight seventy four, because this comes up. All the time. Um, 
Then you have to record the baptism. You've got to be able to, the person for the rest of their life has to be able to approve their own baptism. Very important to record the baptism. Can 875. Um, a person who administers baptism is to take care of that unless a sponsor is present, there is at least a witness who can attest to the control of the baptism. Right? You have to be able to prove baptism. So uh, if there's not a sponsor, at least a witness. Um, to prove the conferral of baptism, if, if prejudicial to no one, the declaration of one witness beyond all exception is sufficient or the oath of the one baptized if the person received baptism as an adult. This happens a lot. Happens a lot. Somebody comes from the Philippines and, you know, a, a bunch of, um, uh, you know, Muslim um, terrorists came in and burned the whole village down and put it in the church and all the records in the church, you know. Um, uh, it's very often to get records from uh, from Latin America for various reasons, you know. Um, so sometimes a person is very frustrated. I was baptized in such and such a church. I can't, I can't prove it. You know, because the, the records are, are all destroyed. You know, um, uh, if it's not a case that that extreme, if it's a uh, person says, yeah, I grew up in this neighborhood in Toledo, Ohio, but I'm not sure exactly where because we moved when I was two years old. But I know I was already baptized. Then um, then you end up uh, and you can get the assistance of your own chancery. Uh, they have to do this for you, actually, uh, usually. Uh, they will write to the chancery over there and ask them to do a search, you know, and then they will send a letter to the parish saying so-and-so was baptized sometime between these dates. Please search your baptismal records. You, know? um, you get those with some frequency, uh, those requests, right? So um, that's one way of, of proving baptism. But sometimes if you can't prove it, um, if the person was an adult, person says, you know, I was, I was baptized just last year and Father Stupid didn't record it, you know. <laughs> um, so, uh, but, but, but if he testifies to that, you know, um, then uh, under oath, and there's no reason why the person would lie, then you could accept that. Otherwise, the person is baptized as, as an infant, you got to find an older brother or sister, you got to find an aunt, you got to find maybe parents or somebody who will testify under oath that this baptism took place on this date, in this place, and it was a Catholic baptism, you know, you have to be able to prove it. That comes up, as I say, with some frequency. You're going to find yourself having to, having to do that once in a while. If you're not sure what to do, call me, call the chancellor's office, and so forth, but but it happens um, with some frequency. Um, and then recording the baptism, uh, didn't quite make it. So we'll get to this next time. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to go on to confirmation or not. Because you guys are not ministers of confirmation, right? Um, so maybe we'll just do the baptismal part and skip the confirmation and get on to marriage. Okay. All right, so we'll pick up a canon 878 next time. Maybe 877. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Father. Welcome. Welcome. Yeah. Have a good week.